That movie sucked. I kind of liked it. Movie Night Crew Network. They had landed next to a tumble-down garage in a small yard, and Harry looked out for the first time at Ron's house. It looked as though it had once been a large stone pigsty, but extra rooms had been added here and there until it was several stories high and so crooked it looked as though it was held up by magic, which, Harry reminded himself, it probably was. Four or five chimneys were perched on top of the red roof. A lopsided sign stuck in the ground near the entrance read, The Burrow. Round the front door lay a jumble of Wellington boots and a very rusty cauldron. Several fat brown chickens were pecking their way around the yard. What's up, potheads? Welcome to the restricted section, in which a bunch of nerds with potty mouths reread the Harry Potter series for the umpteenth time and discuss how the story and its themes have stayed with a generation into adulthood. Thank you for listening. If you haven't done the reading, don't worry, we did it for you. Here's what we are talking about today. Chapter 3, The Burrow. After Ron and Fred and George break Harry out of his imprisonment at the Dursleys using their flying car, they navigate through the skies and get to the burrow where they have this very elaborate plan to go pretend to be asleep and then wake up and say, Harry got here in the middle of the night. Isn't that so weird? Um, but no, obviously Molly Weasley has been onto them for hours. She's already awake and she's fucking pissed. And most of this chapter is her fussing at them and then punishing them with yard work, which is actually really fun. So not a lot happens, but for Harry, who has only ever been to Hogwarts and the Dursleys, basically, this first morning at the burrow is a really, really special time for him. We get to meet Mr. Weasley. We've met Mrs. Weasley before. Um, There's so much mom energy in this chapter that helped inspire our choice of special guests. So just sit tight. This chapter is going to be a good one. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. <laughs> Let's bring that back. Remember when everyone was saying that for like two weeks? Yeah. Let's bring it back. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today, Haley? I'm fine. Thank <laughs> you for asking. <laughs> Uh, road to get to this point but here we are (laughs) and mary payton how are you i'm doing pretty well it's only monday so it's hard to really tell but it's good so far yeah still testing the waters yeah and our very special guest today is diana if you want to tell us a little bit about your um like who you are your harry potter background how you got into it and also tell us what your hogwarts house is Okay, well, I'm definitely a Gryffindor. Um, I, <laughs> I mean, I so am. Um, <clears throat> well, I had four children in five and a half years and raised them by myself. So I didn't, I stopped reading. I'm a voracious reader and uh, listen to music. I don't even have a TV. I don't watch TV or anything, but. Wow. So, but I didn't do that for years. And Mary uh, got the first Harry Potter book and started reading it and read it, read to her sister. 
She would read chapter by chapter to Kathleen. I think that's why Kathleen loves reading now. And, um, but I couldn't start the books because I would get into the books, you know, and I had a lot to do, so I didn't read them. And about two years ago, I, I called Mary and I said, um, do you by any chance have a copy of the first Harry Potter book? I'd like to start reading them. She gasped. By any <laughs> like, chance do you have any books? <laughs> and the, the funny part about that story um, is that I didn't, I mean, I did have all the books, but at that part of my life, um, all my books were in storage. But I did not even dare telling her that because I feel like if I told her that, she'd be like, oh, never mind. I don't want to impose or make you get me one or I don't want to buy one. So I bought her the first one and just oh, told her yeah. that it was my copy. Hell yeah. <laughs> and then I kept doing that. I kept doing that for the first few books. And then eventually so she beautiful. caught on. She caught on eventually. She's like, these are really nice. Yeah, oh, it's, yeah. it's because... It's because, like, the, by the fourth one, I could only find her the new um, new oh, versions with, like, the il- different illustrations, the black and white illustrations. Uh, I don't remember the name of the artist, but um, I think that's what made her catch on right there. Yeah, and I started getting that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And so just to clarify for the listeners, how you, so you're Mary Payton's mama. Yes. Just in case, in case the math wasn't working out for somebody, that's what's up. <laughs> so I started reading that I read straight through. I really like that I had the luxury of reading all the books. Wow. As more or less one story. So that's, that's awesome. that is how I met this whole story was as one into the other. You know, I'd even break in the towards the end of one and then go straight into the next because it carried me forward. It's really sad, you know, when there was no eight, but um, so I've read them now. I'm on, well, I'm on my fourth or fifth reading now. Wow. Really, really. Yeah. I I love a good story. I cannot leave her writing. J.K. Rowling. So that's awesome. I can't imagine what it would be like to read them for the first time all the way through like that. That's so cool. And so what what about you, just like a little bit about you that makes you feel like you're a Gryffindor? I don't know specifically other than um, they would have all been my friends. Oh, friendship. That's such a Hufflepuff <laughs> answer, just saying. <laughs> I know. That's cool. Sometimes but it's just always, a feeling. Just always being there when something needs to happen that you just do what you have to do when there's trouble kind of thing, yeah. which really I feel like is what Harry always did. It yeah. wasn't like he went looking for anything, but he'd see it. Awesome. We're so glad to have you with us and we're going to dive right in to the burrow. The reason that I specifically wanted you on for this episode is because it's about mom and you're a mom and we just, we love moms when we're at the Weasley household. <laughs> When you're in the right household, we love moms. Yeah, maybe not in the Dursleys' household. So that is unfortunately where we start. Technically, technically, that's where we start. Um, at the end of the last chapter, Harry awoke from a dream and he saw Ron Weasley outside his window um, in a flying car, <laughs> which is probably just like the most beautiful sight to see for him and in, in his moment of desperation after being punished for Dobby's little temper tantrum so 
Fred and George and Ron are in the flying car outside. Do you guys remember reading this when you were a kid? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember your, like, rea- thoughts and feelings? Like, I think it was mostly just, like, they can do that? Like, that's a thing? Like, they, like wizards can have cars, but, like, of course they fly, but, like, wizards can have cars. Yeah, it's a little unexpected to see, um, yeah. especially outside of the window. Yeah, and, like, you find out later in the chapter that, like, this is by no means typical, but, like, it's it's just not what you were expecting. <laughs> I like how it kind of gets, like, Ron's in a flying car outside the window, and you're like, okay, like, I'm sure there's a great explanation for this, and then, like, the explanation gets less and less good as you learn more information about what's happening. It's like a science experiment. Like, this isn't even like a regulation car that they're just like too young to drive. Like, this is this is like a Frankenstein of magic and muggle. <laughs> the Weasleys are doing like a Dukes of Hazard thing, just like yeah. stealing their dad's shitty car from out of like the out the garage <laughs> in the back. Yeah, as soon as you as soon as you see that it's Fred and George up front, you're like, oh, this is definitely not allowed. Molly Weasley did not allow this at all. This is the equi- equivalent of mailing a Hogwarts toilet seat. <laughs> which is basically like all we know about them at this point. So it is kind of nice in this chapter to get to spend a little quality time with Fred and George. Just like a day in the life of Fred and George, getting in trouble, shenanigans at the burrow, doing some yard work. <laughs> so they... They get him. They pull the bars off the window. They are like, get all your stuff. And he's like, all my stuff is in the cupboard under the stairs. And he's like, you're lucky that I'm not bodily in the cupboard under the stairs. But my stuff is there. He needs the stuff to go back to school. So Fred and George are good little wizards. And they know how to pick locks. That is an, a very important skill. I'm a muggle child. That was an important part of my life. I've only ever broken into stuff that I had every right to be inside of. I just did not have the key, but it's a, it's an important skill. Update. Since we recorded this last week, I took a trip to South Dakota, got locked out of my Airbnb and had to break myself back in. I I do like distinctly remember reading like the bit where the twins pick the lock on the door and like, I already liked the twins because they were funny, but that was the moment I was like, oh, oh, they're smart. Yeah. They're useful. Yeah, yeah, useful. Very like you, useful. You want them on your apocalypse team. Yes. You bet. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely the, the older brothers that are not only funny, but now like the cool older brothers who can do like illegal stuff, probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's nice to know that like as much as they goof around, like they, they will come get you like when they, when you need them. Yeah, they they are a force of chaotic good. They are all about vigilante justice. Uh, the Weasleys are just so good, and it's just, like, I mean, we're not there yet, but, like, just, like, why would Percy ever betray them? Okay, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, too, much, too much, too much, too I, I do love in this chapter that, like, this is the first chapter where we really get the Weasley family dynamics. Just, like, a day in the life. It's so charming. Okay, yeah. so, so let's get there. So... Uh, like, so much drama. So they all get in the car, and then Hedwig is like, excuse me! And she screeches really loudly, which, like, good girl. Like, she's not gonna get left behind, and I stand behind that. Yeah, because so, I was gonna forget her like an idiot. So ashamed of Harry and that part. Like, he has no idea what she's gonna do for him. <laughs> and he's just, he's just, can't even remember her when he's fleeing to safety. In his defense, his head's in a lot of places right now. Both in and out the window. I think he's still in shock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, how, like, 
how does this even compute his like body's just moving and his brain's like we'll figure it out later <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's now i feel like i mean we talked about in the first book how he kind of is the kind of narrator that just observes and doesn't really freak out about things. But I feel like he's even more so now after having a year at Hogwarts. He knows nothing really still about what magic can do, but he's willing to accept all of it at this point. He's just like, all right, flying car. All right, just grab my stuff, I guess. He's a very roll roll with the punches kind of guy. Yeah, but I think this is the book where that for once kind of starts to change because he has like a unique magical experience of like hearing this voice that other people aren't hearing. So he has to start like kind of sticking up for himself. But yeah, definitely right now. Well, I mean, like, you know how when you have like two bad days in a row and you're just like, I can't, I can't go on. Like, why even try for a third day? Like, I'm just, this is the worst thing. But like this, it's been like two solid months for him of every day just being like terrible. So he probably is just like, a little brain dead he's just like really mentally checked out and now his mind is blown okay so so they go back for a headway but that gives uncle vernon he wakes up uncle vernon wakes up and he comes running down the hall and the door is unlocked and he comes in and him and harry just like look at each other I don't, something I don't understand and never have in this instance is like his desperation to stop Harry from escaping. Like, yeah, let dude, it go. You, you didn't want him in the house to begin with. You never have. Like, it's at this point, like, I get that you're mad and like want revenge, but like, he's still very much in your house and you've been afraid for years that he was going to yeah. blow it up. So like, just let, let him go, dude. We talked about that in the first one too, when he was trying so desperately to keep the letters away. Well, that was, I guess, a different version of it, but he still, the Dursleys still want to control everything about and tamper, really, anything to do with the magic. And even even though I think they're still planning on letting him go to school in the fall, that's still a version of control that they have over it. So if they let him just go off with his friends in a flying car in the middle of the night... What will the neighbors say? <laughs> yeah, right. Who knows who's going to find out that they... They're very, they're very narrow-minded. Yeah, true. Meaning they only know one thing in one way. And in, in the case of Harry, they are not going to let him do anything out of the ordinary. He's, not, he's probably not even thinking about him getting away and going. He's thinking, like you said, about whether the neighbors are going to see mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and the noise and, and that kind of thing. I don't yeah. think it even occurs to him. I don't think it even occurs to him that he can go yeah. and, and be out of his hair. It might just be a reflex at this point that, like, yeah. like, because, like, because for so many years, like, they kept him miserable, but like, with a goal in mind to like stop him from like having magical, like, to, to just like squash the magic out of him. And at this point, mm-hmm. they might just like it's just a reflex to make Harry miserable. And they're like, well, if he runs away mm-hmm. with his magic friends, he'll be happy, and we can't have that. Well, mm. and, like, he still is in, like, the punishment phase for mm. exploding the pudding, which, like, um, Petunia and, and Vernon, like, have every reason to believe that he willingly exploded that pudding, right? Like, they It'd have... It's hard to believe otherwise for yeah. anyone, really. Oh, totally, totally. So, like, he's in punishment mode. Um, and also, going back to them not wanting to, like, um, upset the neighbors... 
we we try not to invoke the movie that much but like this whole shenanigans is like so much more dramatic in the movie with uncle vernon like latching on and getting like dragged out the window into the bushes and then it's like way more of a of like a crazy spectacle uh. than <laughs> than he originally you know he makes it way worse is what i'm saying uh okay but they get away yay I always felt like the first and second chapter here were really played bad down down on Harry and everything to contrast I mean on you know for the reason of contrasting with his with the borough oh for sure it's like one and two in this book are really some of the worst you yeah. know there's yeah. no good in it there's no joy in it whatsoever it's the worst birthday yeah and even when even when he like finally gets like some contact from the magical world it's like this unhinged house self telling him like he's gonna die if he goes back to school so it's like oh it got worse somehow but like all through this chapter like uh, diana you're absolutely right like it's everything he observes at the dursleys he like compares to privet drive and he's like this is so much better holy shit so like there's there's a lot of really strong juxtaposition going on there yeah, well, and Ron is so embarrassed by it, which is, like, crazy, because it's, like, I don't know, he, you know, poor little Ron. Poor Ron. Yeah, it's so, it's so sweet. I mean, Harry's reactions, like, I want to wait until we get to, like, actually there and, like, yeah, go through those reactions, but it's just so, it's just so sweet. This whole chapter just warms my heart. I wrote a, a compare and contrast of Privet Drive and um, the Burrow and of the Dursleys and the Weasleys, and of Petunia and Molly. How did Petunia stack up against Molly? (laughs) (laughs) You know, Petunia, where did I put something there? Cold, holds on to her true feelings. I mean, the whole time, right? Um, Puts her energy into how her house looks. And what does neighbors say? And everything's about her. Yeah. She's Whereas kind of Molly like, Weasley um, is totally opposite. It's like, you know, yeah. Molly's like all about love. Yeah. And, and her family comes her first. Family and everybody else. And, you know, you're going to take me down if you take my family, you know, but if you are my family, you better straighten up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, but, but her is about others, about giving to others, like feeding, you know, the food, everything. Yeah. But uh, Petunia to me is such like um like a mid century but like housewife but like a caricature of it, like from like Edward Scissorhands or something. Or like yeah. uh like that somewhere that's green song from uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Oh yeah, so, Where yeah she, it's just a song about like being a stereotypical fifties housewife. Yep, like white picket fence. The life. Yeah. I think um, purit- puritanical. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so well, in the car, the car's not that exciting. It's just a, a, a moment for us to catch our breath and um, get some more exposition worked in at the at the head of this book. So. <laughs> They're talking about house elves because obviously um, Harry just had this visit. He's probably hoping that the Weasleys have like better information about house elves, but they do not because they are poor and they don't have a house elf and they don't. Although, have house elves. although they do uh, give us the very important theory that maybe Malfoy sent Dobby because the Malfoys are the kinds of people who would have house elves. 
hey, yeah. And then they raise the question of, like, did they send this house elf to, like, warn him off of school rather than, like, him, like, uh, Dobby acting in Harry's interest? You know, like... I think I talked, like, in the first chapter about how, like, this book is the most self-contained mystery of all of the books, and, like, a good a good mystery, like, anytime you get a clue, it gets you, like, halfway there, and, like, that's kind of what they do here, like, they, they get halfway to what this clue would reveal if they knew everything. Like, yes, Dobby is owned by the, by the Malfoys, but there's yeah. something you don't know. Yeah. Well, it's just, like, giving Malfoy too much credit at this point, I feel like, mm. I don't know. Or, like, Maybe not enough credit, depending on your perspective of it. Depending on which Malfoy you're talking about. Oh, yeah, true. That's a a good point. (laughs) Um, And then, like, also this part where he's like, maybe Malfoy did it. Like, I don't know why this is, like what maybe like my 15th reading of this these books and like mm-hmm. i just i cannot get my head out of the gutter and i'm just like harry is so gay for draco just like imagining him strutting <laughs> around his manor <laughs> he's been I, i'm just like he's been this has been his summertime daydream <laughs> i don't know man harry just like really wants draco malfoy to ha- like have something with him you know <laughs> like whatever you know, that thing is Dude, when you're 12 years old, like, all you want in life is a nemesis. Like, (laughs) you want someone to take all of your, like, rage out on and have it be legitimate. And, like, Harry has that in Draco Malfoy. But, like, your your nemesis can always be more evil. But remember the the hat? You know, almost Mm -hmm. put him in Slytherin. Mm. And that's part of the deep part of the character, I think, that she wrote that Rowling wrote into Harry that of who Harry is is he does have a bit of jealousy and all because he has a very competitive spirit yeah you know he wants to win at all odds too in a lot of ways I mean he doesn't want to be bad like that but I think he has a little jealousy in there for him yeah, yeah I think a lot of times the stuff that that bothers you about other people or that you fight you you know like rail the most against the stuff that scares you that you might have within you a lot of times or things that make you feel defensive. So Mm -hmm. that could be part of it too. Yeah, Yeah. true. But I also feel like in this instance specifically um, that it's more the fact that when you hear something you really don't want to hear, like the fact that you shouldn't go to Hogwarts, which to Harry is his only reason for staying alive at this point is the fact that he gets to go back to Hogwarts and he's being told he shouldn't. And so he's like, this must be, I'm sure it's just uh, a plot to keep me out of there by the Malfoys. That's yeah, that's just, all it is. Yeah, yeah, it's just Malfoy playing a prank. Yeah, your your brain will give you like a hundred reasons why you're right if you like really want it to. Oh, for sure. Well, well. So in the car, it also the other like besides just like here, this is what a house elf is, and maybe it was the Malfoys' house elf. The only other thing that really goes down is it. I mean, it becomes apparent that they really have no business being in this flying car. And, like, it doesn't really go, it doesn't really, like, go into Harry's, like, realization. Like, I feel like he probably realized midair that this was a bunch of, like, hocus pocus. And it's like, well, I guess, I'm, I guess I'll just, like, repress my concerns about this because I'm physically in this car right now. <laughs> but, like... I, they, like they have no business flying is a very high risk endeavor you know because if you fail there's like almost no way you're not gonna just become a pancake you don't even really have to fail you just have to do like one tiny thing really wrong 
Or have one thing go wrong with the machinery or something like that, and that becomes a huge failure, right? Yeah, and like Arthur Weasley, a skilled wizard, if he started falling out of midair, probably has like a whole arsenal of things he could do to like save the car or at least save himself. But like Fred and George are fourth years or fifth years right now i think that they're fourth years years. um i i don't believe i don't believe that they have like they don't know the magic yeah like the quick draw skills to like get them out of a pickle (laughs) um so pretty pretty reckless but like also they're like 14 and 12 so it's like okay this all tracks this what it went a lot better in their heads and like so far it's going great because they haven't died or like and they got away they're all feeling like so hype right now because they're like yeah we got away and that's until they land right and then mrs weasley comes like through the chickens like (laughs) they have like all this land She's just like stomping through the chicken. <laughs> so this well, is, and they're I talking. Want- the, uh, the boys, are, I'm sorry, the boys are talking. Yeah, like, the last part of their plan. Oh, we're gonna get home, and we're gonna t- we're gonna go upstairs and go to sleep, and uh, you know, you and Ron, and we'll get up in the morning. You and Ron will come down. And Such a good we'll elaborate like, plan. Oh my gosh, look who showed up! <laughs> Which like, and then as if Molly Weasley wouldn't. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. As if Molly Weasley wouldn't be like, and, and like, how did you get here, sir? Yeah, I want to um, read that part because it's just so good the way JK wrote this scene. Um, when they're explaining, now we'll just go upstairs really quietly. We'll pretend you just showed up mm-hmm. in the night. Uh, we'll all be pleased to see Harry and we won't need to know. No one will need to know who flew the car. Uh, right, said Ron. <laughs> Come on, Harry. I sleep at the... At the top, Ron had gone a nasty greenish color, his eyes fixed on the house. The other three wheeled around. Mrs. Weasley was marching across the yard, scattering chickens. Mm. And for a short, plump, kind-faced woman, it was remarkable how much she looked like a saber-toothed tiger. <laughs> and I didn't really mean to read that far because my, my mom was talking. Uh, um, that the other is day my about first how, favorite that's quote. Her, that's her favorite quote. So sorry, Mom. I, didn't, I just couldn't not continue into that. I'm sorry. It's so so good. Like the imagery is just beautiful. And and you can like you like along with all of the boys, you feel like your stomach drop out and you're just like, oh, God, we're in trouble. But I know (laughs) that moment, too. I know what it feels like when you're like in high heels walking down and just something's going on with your kids and you're like honing in on it. (laughs) And you, I have I remember driving behind Mary (laughs) to governor's school. And her car wasn't working well. And I'm behind in the truck and I'm watching cars going all around. And I felt like that, like I was behind in my big truck. And if anybody was going to get too close to her and let's say we're going to wreck her, I was going to run them off the road. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I was, I was there to do it. You know, that was my job. So I get it. I liked it. You're my saber to tiger. That's right. <laughs> Dude, I fucking and love then I Molly also Weasley. love. I yeah. know I love this. The next part though is like such a like any child will recognize this feeling of like yes, when your parents are mad at you, it's terrible. But when you're when your parents are like quiet mad at you, when yeah. your mom is like quiet, like the worst is when you know that she was scared because that's when she's you're really gonna get it. So, like, it says she came to a halt in front of them, and then all she says for a second is just, so. And then <laughs> wait, one sec. Speaking, wait, wait, wait. Speaking of moms, my mom is calling right now. Sorry. just. 
That's important, I guess. Hi, Bridget. <laughs> Hello. I'm going to open my beer then. Hello. Hi, Bridget. I'm going to take a sip of water. I'm good. Uh, we're in the middle of doing recording for the podcast. Can I call you back? I said hi. I swear to God, if you don't tell your okay. mom, I said hi. All right. Hi. Love you too. Bye. <clears throat> Indeed. Uh, like a like a line soon after that. Um, nope. It's the very next line after she says so. Um the writing style in these in Harry Potter and especially these first couple of Harry Potter books is very simplistic and it's often not that innovative or unique, but every once in a while she hits you with like, just like the right phrase. And it's just like, um, morning mums said George and what he clearly thought was a jaunty winning voice. And like, you, it's just like, you can picture that so well. Jaunty is like such a good word. Like jaunty. it's like i love it it's such a good word and and it is like vaguely british feeling and like a little performative okay so that so then it's like the whole the showdown sorry mom but we had to and then i think we i think this is one of those things and like uh for me at least when i imagine this scene it's like pretty it's pretty much from the movie because she like just she nails it so much with her like cute little like knit sleeves and her apron and she's just like no note gone it's just like so iconic (laughs) um and then she starts going in all capitals i don't like that she's like you could take a leaf out of percy's book like i get i get that it's nice to have like a perfect child but like you don't need to make i mean i feel like she's fostering resentment among her children i feel like that's a thing that's pretty like useful though to be like right now they're putting down their older brother in front of their mom making fun of him and really that part of them that doesn't like Percy, the, the part of them that, you know, is cool. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I guess like Percy, his thing is that he's like perfect, quote unquote, and Ugh. he follows the rules. That's like his Ugh. big thing. So like right now he's putting, they're putting him down. And that's the one thing that she's like super mad at them for doing in this moment. She's like, you could take a leaf out of his, like, don't put him down. Yeah, I guess I don't he He's not causing me these problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'd be more willing to, like, be, like, be more like Bill or Charlie, because, like, they're cool. Everybody loves them. Like, I think she, I mean, she knows that Percy has, like, a hard time with his siblings. And I don't know. I just feel like putting him on a pedestal while they're all still in the same sandbox is, like, just bad for their relationship. But, like, also, you, like, note that Fred is, like, pulling this out of nowhere. Like, in the middle of a fight that has nothing to do with Percy. Like, so you can tell from Fred just, like, can't help himself, like, perfect Percy. Like, you can tell that this is something that comes up a lot of just, like, the whole dynamic with Percy. And, like, that's so not what she's fucking talking about right now that, like, I can... I can see it. Like, you know what? If that's going to piss you off, fine. Maybe that'll work. Maybe yeah. that'll make you stop stealing the car and running off to Surrey. That's true. That's kind of what I thought, is that she wasn't saying you could be a whole lot more like Percy. And she wasn't saying it out of the blue. They pulled in Percy and the, and the yeah. older boys anyway. And she said, you, could, you guys could take a page out of his book. Meaning, you know what, you know, he's sometimes what he does is right and it doesn't hurt other people. And, you know, what you guys did could have been really bad. So that's something they can relate to. So I think of it as just a little part of what she said. 
Definitely yeah. what they did is objectively incredibly dangerous. <laughs> so, like, no, she, I mean, if she's going to get mad about anything, this is the thing. Um, well, and, I mean, she gets mad at Arthur later, too, and it's like, yeah, he probably could have done things differently. Also, Molly, <laughs> Molly Weasley is the one wizard that we have met so far, aside from maybe Minerva McGonagall, who cares about child welfare. Uh, true. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. So, like, so true. Like she's mad because they endangered themselves and their friend. And like poor Harry in this next line, like if there is one thing worse than getting reamed out by your mom in front of your best friend, it is watching your best friend get reamed out by <laughs> their mom <laughs> in front of you for so something awkward. that they did to help you. Yeah. So awkward. And then it's Ooh. like, you're not in trouble. Like Harry's not in trouble. But I do love how throughout this whole scene, Molly makes it really clear that that she knows this isn't Harry's fault and she was also not going to let him continue on this way. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's this what it goes to next, I think. It just says she's yelling yelling yelling. I mean, I I haven't seen the movie, but I can I can feel this scene. I can hear this yeah. scene. Because I can hear her rage at the what she could have lost out there because of their stupidity, okay? And I hear the rage coming out at her sons who they know she loves them. Think she knows it'll be over, you know. So she's letting that out. But then she's like, and I can hear her tone of voice slow down when Harry goes like, he's like the same thing. Oh, backing it up, and she's like, no, no, it's okay, dear. You know, you're. you're I'm not mad at you. That's yeah, he's expecting it. an Aunt Petunia. Yeah. Yes. Right, which is like I was gonna say that's like the the first sort of scene, almost scene by scene contrast you have between Aunt Petunia and Molly Weasley, which is anytime Aunt Petunia turned from the family that she's, um, you know, sweet talking and obsessing over and turns back to Harry, it's to say something awful, um, mm-hmm. to yell at him. And in here, it's the opposite. Um, you know, Molly Weasley isn't saying something awful to her family. She's just angry. But then she turns to him. Um, and I'm sure he automatic reaction is just like, Oh, he starts backing away. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, if you, like, Harry has never seen somebody else get bitched out by a parent before. He's only had it happen to himself, and he's spent his whole life being like, why isn't Dudley getting in trouble for being such a douche? And now it's probably really shocking that someone's getting, like, exactly what's due to them. And he's not bracing him. him. He's bracing himself for oh, what yeah. he's used to. Yeah, and um, and instead he's like a dog that's been hit or whatever, and instead the hand is gentle. Yeah, and that's that next <laughs> paragraph or so. Yeah, he the needed hand Molly is gentle. Weasley. He needed oh, Molly yeah. Weasley so yeah. much. Yeah, and the um when she's feeding him, oh my gosh, it's just like also a beautiful oh contrast my gosh. too. I love that because it says oh well I also want to talk about him looking around the house, but when she's feeding him she. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to find it. Eight or nine. It's she's like absent. She's still yelling at everyone, but she's feeding everyone. <laughs> and on his plate. Oh, yeah. Tipping eight or nine sausages on his plate. Thank you, Mom. You, you found You're it welcome. for me. Three fried eight or nine eggs. No, and, I'm not looking at And adding three fried eggs. <laughs> yes. And she's just like, he's probably never, he's never been, other than at Hogwarts, he's never been served that much food by someone, yeah. especially not someone yelling. You know, like, <laughs> you would think, right. okay, punishment time. I don't get to eat anything now. Bread and cheese. It's bread and cheese. That's, yeah. like, um, you get. that's like one of those restaurants where the waiters are, like, supposed to be super rude to you. Have you ever been to one of those? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I've never been to one of those, but I've heard about it. 
some people, you know, some people can go and some people shouldn't. And like only, you know, if you're strong enough to nope. be yelled at. <laughs> I am definitely not one of those people. What do you guys think about M- M- Molly Weasley so frequently? Because, you know, this is the first time we see her in her like natural state. But like we see it a lot more throughout the rest of the books. What do you think about her being like a kind of like yelling housewife from like a feminist perspective? I feel like she's justified, like, just with having that many kids. Like, she's just mad. She's mad and she's tired. (laughs) Like, she has that many kids and they can all do magic. And, like, wizard kids as children, it has been confirmed, like, can't entirely control their magic. So, like, God, imagine what this poor woman has had to put up with. I I feel like um, that doesn't bother me as much as Arthur's role in the family and like you get to know the kids and molly and arthur well enough that i'm assuming or i i like to assume that we just don't see the part where he's more involved as a father and that he's actually doing these things but that kind of that's the part that bothers me more is that he you know comes home from work and she's obviously upset at them and he doesn't really yell at them at all he just like gets excited really about the car working and well um, also because he's like dead on his feet he's exhausted too everyone's just yeah no fucking, i get everyone's fucking tired and mad right now <laughs> i definitely get that and i get that we only see a couple of the scenes but we also in book five you know she's busy cleaning the house they all help with cleaning the house i don't yeah. remember arthur being a part of that at all i know he had a job that was an order order the phoenix point but it always seems to rest on her shoulders to do those things. Yeah, it's that a lot in of, itself isn't the problem, but a lot of like the emotional labor. It's all. It's, I feel like he's just he like because he like works for a living and that's all he's he's worried about. He like uh, he gets this like pass and he doesn't have to like remember things or like spearhead anything in the home. And I I think that's a really like contemporary way that like the patriarchy still exists in a lot of contemporary relationships is like just giving the women all of this, like the emotional baggage of like managing, even if they don't have to like do everything themselves, it's like they're managing. I mean, I think two people get married and work it out the way that it fits right for the two of them. And I think that's always different. I've known families that the father was the disciplinarian, the, the one that, you know, ruled the roost. And and I've seen it balanced when you have two people that equally do it well together. But most families, you know, one does one thing, one does the other. He clearly has his job at the ministry, which is really important to him. And it is a very stress, high stress job. So I'm sure, in my opinion, that early on in their marriage, they worked out if we both want a big family, but I can't be there what goes on in the family and you can yeah you know i think they work that out that's all well that's what i was saying like uh, because i love this family so much i assume that's what's happening i think she just doesn't show us a lot of the yeah like that's why i love this chapter so much because even though a lot of things happen in the burrows the only time this is the best scene of actually their family dynamics is this chapter and like i think it's made very clear in this chapter and like throughout the series that like Arthur and Molly are super ride or die for each other. Like 
the most underappreciated line in this book, and I think possibly, like, one of the most underappreciated lines in the whole series, is, like, after Molly, like, tips the eight or nine sausages onto Harry's plate, she says, Arthur and I have been worried about you, too. Just last night, we were saying we'd come and get you ourselves if you hadn't written back to Ron by Friday. So she and Arthur had discussed this, and they were going to kidnap Harry Potter from <laughs> his relatives, and Dumbledore can, like, Dumbledore can suck a dick they don't care (laughs) she is um extreme she's like enough of a mom to mom as many people as she needs yeah you know and like and arthur like a little later in the chapter when we actually meet arthur like as much as the boys in the car were talking about like dad's job is so boring and he's always at work like as soon as he gets home his kids mob him like (laughs) they are so excited like this is not an absent father he is very emotionally involved with his kids and he goes to the, he gets in the flu network and goes and gets Harry at one point. Yeah. It's not Molly. It's him. Gosh, that's such a good part. Of that, that's book four. That's such a good scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, I think it helps Molly's character a lot. Um, first of all, that there's a lot of other women in this series doing a lot of other things. That's really important context. Um, she obviously absolutely loves being a mom, even though, I mean, Right now, it's kind of a nightmare, but, like, as the books go on, you... I mean, motherhood is, like, an extreme priority to her. And then also, you get to see Molly doing some other pretty badass shit throughout the rest of the series. So, that's all important context. Um, speaking of, <laughs> are there a Molly being right or die? One of my favorite moments in the entire Harry Potter 7-book series, it, I think about it every time I think of Arthur and Molly, and... Um, I think it's in book seven when they start using like passwords and stuff and Arthur Weasley comes home from work and he doesn't know that like Harry is with Molly on the other side of the door and he's like (laughs) he's like what do you call me when or what do I call you when we're alone together and she's like Molly Wobbles. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) All this to say all this to say Arthur and Molly fuck. (laughs) I just I love them. I love them. So ride or die. <laughs> um, so and you know what? They're really good together. And to be perfectly honest, I think that if Sean and I, by some really terrible twist of fate, ended up with seven kids, we would probably end up a lot like them. Yeah. Just the like they're the dad like, who, keeping like, it together. <laughs> yeah, you know. Doing weird shit in the garage. <laughs> I, I also just really feel like, yeah, Sean's in the garage right now. Um, I also just really feel. And, like, I will bring this up again, but I truly do not believe that Arthur Weasley gets paid enough money. Like, he should not have to struggle to deal with the misuse of muggle artifacts. That sounds like a constant nightmare. And, I mean, what we get in this chapter is that it is a huge nightmare. What they need to do is defund the Auror Department and fund... Find Arthur's department better. Oh my god. <laughs> Defund, Defund the or. It's harder to ch- chant the word or. There's some point in there that he, um, it's it's explained, I can't remember who's talking, but uh, that he decided to stay where he is. He did not want to be promoted. He didn't want, where? Oh yeah, it's, I-, it, I know the line you're talking about. It's definitely Ron who says it. It's, I think it's like book four or five, but like Ron yes. makes it very clear that like, oh yeah, no, dad could have, dad yeah. could have gotten a promotion. He just likes where he works because yes. he's just really interested in muggles. I love yeah. that. I love him so much. Okay, let's <laughs> get back to it. So Molly Weasley, mad as hell. Um, 
Oh, where yeah, haphazardly cooking. I love that word, haphazardly cooking breakfast. <laughs> just like yeah. a real loose cannon. <laughs> um, and then the boys are like, I'm so tired. I'm going to go to bed. And she's like, the hell you are going to bed right now. You're about to do some gardening, which mm-hmm. that is okay. Speaking from personal experience, gardening in the summertime when you're, well, I was going to say hungover, but like, you know, just like when you're not like nice and chipper and well rested, it's like a, just a real terrible experience. Yeah, um, especially I feel like that's the worst punishment she could have yeah. done just like making them stay up, honestly. <laughs> and you know, I think I think hungover works because they're coming down off the high of a heist well planned mm. <laughs> and realizing that they're in trouble. Mm. So, she well, and here's the thing is we haven't met Arthur Weasley yet, so she's like just you fucking wait till your dad gets home and like little do we know that that means absolutely nothing. <laughs> she had she to knows know that. that. She, she knows, knows that. that. <laughs> she knows. And again, if I had seven kids, I would probably invoke Sean a lot more than he invokes himself, you know? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> she exactly. she definitely she definitely knew that because when she talks to him about it, she yells at she's yelling at him. She's yeah. not really there's not really a part where she's like um, these kids did a thing. You should get mad it's at them. Like She's like, you these kids this. used your car that you <laughs> enchanted. What do you say about that? So what she's really saying is you just wait till your dad gets home so I can yell at all fucking five of you at the same time. <laughs> That's just Molly. Again. Yeah, Molly yeah. Weasley is just saying this isn't over. <laughs> she's like, I'm going to ruminate for a full day or like however long it takes your dad to get home. A um, couple of hours as long as it takes to eat breakfast. Okay. So, okay. So they, they go to denome the garden, which Harry probably with muggle garden gnomes in his brain is probably like, what the actual fuck? And I, I love the Harry Potter garden gnomes because they're the only things really that I've ever thought look just like a newborn child. Like when, it, when, a, when a newborn baby is born, I'm like, I, they're, I mean, they're just not cute. They're like potatoes. And it's like these gnomes are like basically potatoes. And <laughs> these gnomes never get to grow into adorable little babies with fat little thighs. Um, they're, they're just always potatoes, which is pretty sad. Yeah, this is like the, the horrifying reality of Cabbage Patch Kids. <laughs> I, pictured, I pictured more of like, um, like an evil pixie kind of thing. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know. Well, I don't know says, why. He, the book says potato. Does it really? Yeah, well, their heads their heads are exactly like potatoes. Yeah, yeah. It says potato they look head. like potatoes. Yeah. Like a, you know, wow. like a newborn baby. I was just wrong this whole time. <laughs> Can I just bring attention to like one of my favorite lines in this chapter that like always sticks with me, which is the air was soon thick with flying gnomes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This whole scene, I was reading so I was reading the scene, my husband works from home. And I was at home reading this scene and I kept giggling out loud, which (laughs) even if I find something funny that I'm reading, I normally don't react out loud to it. But like every part of that denoming scene is so good because the... There's first the shock of like, oh my God, they just lift this creature by its legs, fling it around their heads and then (laughs) chuck it. And at first you're like, oh my God. But then you go with Harry and you're like, this is actually pretty fun. I like this. (laughs) And it's such a, and like going back to the juxtaposition point, like, you know, chapter one, Harry was spending his birthday doing like shitty yard work in the hot sun alone while Dudley like lolled around eating ice cream and watching him. And this is just like a competition with his best friend. Like it's so much better. 
Somehow it's like like 20 degrees hotter in Little Winging than it is in Ottery St. Catchpole. <laughs> it's like a seventh <laughs> circle of hell. Um, we I, we kind of skipped over. I just want to draw everyone's attention. We skipped over just um, before they went gnoming when um, Mrs. Weasley is like, let's see what Lockhart has to say on the subject. Oh, That's yeah. an, an, an important context because Lockhart comes up later. And it's like, it's pretty annoying when you're like, I know how to do something. And someone's like, let me explain it. And you're like, no, no. Like, I got it. And they're like, well, let's consult the resources. And it's like, no, no. <laughs> I have done this before. She just wanted to look at his beautiful blue eyes and his gleaming golden hair. He is... In the book, when I, I mean, well, I was also, like, a little kid, I think. Um, but, like, book locker never appealed to me. But, like, damn, Kenneth Branagh is, like, a really specific kind of sexy. Like, a, shake, <laughs> a Shakespeare, Harry Potter, crazy kind of sexy. And, like, I'm here for it. I like it. I like a blonde man with a little <laughs> bit too much bravado. Don't tell Sean. <laughs> um, but back to the gnomes. Some of you may know. Some of you may have played these. There's, like, so many different Harry Potter video games. And I'm trying to remember which one. It might have been the PC game, the um, the Chamber of Secrets PC game, where this was, like, a, a, th- a thing you did. You got to, you got to fling the gnomes. Oh, my or gosh. It, it might have was been it on, a Game like Boy. Was it on Pottermore? I feel like this was a Pottermore game. It might have also been a Pottermore game, but I'm definitely remembering an incredibly specific, like, aesthetic of, like, 8-bit shitty video games. It might have been on my GameCube, but, like, so suffice it to say that the Gnome Flinging is a great game that has popped up in video (laughs) games more than once. (laughs) It's just so, how she writes it, too, uh, with the, when Harry, oh, yeah, Harry learned quickly not to feel too sorry for the Gnomes. He decided just to drop the first one he caught over the hedge, but the gnome, sensing weakness, sank its razor-sharp teeth into Harry's finger, and he had a hard job shaking it off until, wow, Harry, that must have been 50 feet. (laughs) I just love that it, like, cuts right, like, you're like, Harry was trying to be nice to the gnome, the gnome bit him, and then one of the boys was like, wow, Harry, that must have been 50 feet, because you know he just, like, was like, fuck it! (laughs) it. Okay, so... So, I mean, yeah, the air, the air was thick with flying nubs. And then, so then they, they get them out enough, which I think it's kind of like weeds where you're still like, ah, okay, there's like one or two, but like, I'm out of here. I can't, my back hurts. I got to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they go back inside and... Um, because right they, heard, they heard Arthur get home. They heard mm-hmm. Arthur get home. So they're like, daddy, daddy, which... I don't, I don't know. My experience with dads is that that's the absolute last thing they want. Well, and just like men and shit, like Sean. I mean, when you get, when he gets home, the answer is not to come like running up to him, trying to like say all the things. Um, but daddy, daddy, he probably has good stories. They probably like enjoy receiving him well, like, and hearing the stories. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's the first thing they ask is like what like you know what what went on tonight like what happened and like in the car they were like dad's job is so boring and then like the second arthur gets home they're like <laughs> what happened at work today <laughs> i think they're probably honestly when they say it's boring i think they're probably just like i, I feel like they're that's coded language for them knowing that they don't that he doesn't get paid enough you know what i mean like yeah I, and like throughout this chapter ron keeps being super embarrassed about his house which is so sad because i think we all would love to be in the borough personally i would love sean made me a pot rack recently and i literally we like hung all these pots over the stove and i like moved my pothos so it would like grow out over my 
pot rack and I was just like, damn, this is going to look like the burrow someday, I swear to God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just so like, uh, even though there's stuff everywhere, and I wanted to talk a little bit about like what the house looks like too and the stuff that's in it, but the stuff that's everywhere is just stuff that they've, you get the sense that they've had it forever, Mm -hmm. that it's a part of their daily lives, that it might not be super fancy, but it's all unique and like kitschy little fun stuff you know and like every anything you would pick up in the borough would have like like a saga about it Mm -hmm. you know yeah there's like the clock that we come to know and love that i'm so grateful they kept in the in the movies um and there's like the whole kitchen which i just picture as so charming and there's like the radio playing celestina warbeck my girl And I love that the clock is so good. I feel like it'd be so useful. It's, I guess we should describe it, but it's like what I want my cell phone to do for me. Yeah. But I can't quite get it to do it. Like I want alarms on my cell phone, but I don't want to have to put those alarms on myself. I don't want to have to remember to put those alarms on myself. I just want something that just like knows that I'm too late or knows that I'm supposed to do this a certain time. Like, (laughs) and this clock would just, I just need one of these. It says, um, written around the edges were things like time to make tea, time to feed the chickens, and you're late. <laughs> like, everything that matters. Well, and I, so I don't remember if this is something from the, only the movie or from the later books, but, like, um, it has, like, dead and, and immortal peril and, like, time that's traveling. A, that's they also have clock. that one. Yeah. Okay. That's a I think that clock. one might come up in, like, a in like the next chapter when like Mm -hmm. Harry's kind of going on about like everything that he's found that he loves about the burrow. So they have two clocks. They, I'm, I'm assuming this one is just Molly's. And then there's the one that has like one for every member of the family. Oh, okay. okay. For every member of the family. Yeah. 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 I got you. Okay. Cool. 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 They're both useful as hell. Yeah. I, I definitely need the Molly clock. The other one I don't need so much. Yeah. (laughs) Like (laughs) other people. uh, But, (laughs) I need to know my timing for everything. The burrow is like perfectly imperfect. It's like printed drive is every line is a straight line mm-hmm. and it's, and it's planned and it's put there and there again, it's put there for how it looks to other people, you know, and it's not necessarily comfortable. You've been in and they probably houses like that. Yeah. <laughs> and they probably don't use any of that stuff, you know, like right. they, everything is for decoration. Whereas it's, and it's, and it, but it's an emotional desert, you know, Privet Drive is. Oh yeah. Whereas the borough, there's no straight line. Even Mm -hmm. the ones that were straight are crooked or they're kinked or, and it's big. And you know, like every kink in that line is because somebody was having fun and somersaulted over it or something, you know, I mean, it's just, (laughs) it's as, it's a story. Everything's a story to tell. Yeah, and and it's more important the story that's told than that it look right or different. That's almost like an emotional oasis, though. But I yeah. love the whole description of the way they they both look because yeah. of yeah. that. Yeah, I used to when I was a kid, my parent. I always say my parents had like a rich phase, and we lived in like a big house for like ten years, and it was like the stupidest fucking place to raise like three small children because it was like half the rooms. Like, you couldn't even touch anything in there. And, like, everything was made out of fucking glass. And it was just, like, like the hardwood is new. Like, just, like, uh My brothers and I always play kickball in the pool room. Um, 
with like the pool table and there was like this beautiful like crystal chandelier and we just like i mean we, we played kickball there dude like what do you yeah. want from us we i'm like i'm eight and we destroyed that chandelier like so yeah. <laughs> we pulverized it no place for a child um but the borough is a great place for a lot of children and so Mr. Weasley gets home, and then he's talking about work a little bit, and then Mrs. Weasley appears holding a long poker like a sword, (laughs) starts yelling about flying cars, and I'm sure he has a hard moment, like a quick, like just for like a split second, his brain is like so confused, and it's like, what the fuck? is she talking about and i feel like there's a moment too where he's like do i continue to lie or has she already like, caught me how, and then how, much does, how much does she know right right <laughs> yeah, i think he's really careful here he's like i suppose someone who has a flying car would, would <laughs> maybe hypothetically should have maybe should have told his wife but other than that <laughs> it's perfectly legal i just love when he break, falls apart and looks at the boys you can ju- i can just picture his face you know, yeah. going, did it work, guys? Did it work? Oh, my gosh, you know? Oh, my gosh, tell me about it. Tell me all about it, you know? And also, oh, quickly. Oh, oh, sorry, yes. <laughs> it also just goes to show how distracted he is that, like, well, and also how many fucking children he has that Molly's like, blah, 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 and now Harry's here, and he's like, who the fuck is Harry? Harry <laughs> He's sitting right there. Like, he's just like, oh, I thought that was just another one of my kids. <laughs> yeah. We don't get the classic movie what exactly is the function of a rubber duck i really like that line a lot <laughs> but that's okay that's not what we're talking about right now so yeah um yeah he's like he wants to know how, i get it he wants to know how the car drove like i get it right but you sh- i mean he should he probably should have the presence of mind to like figure it out later <laughs> he's like the most benign mad scientist yeah just like so mild and curious like he has no funding but he's doing his best <laughs> damn it. and he he has the presence of mind to have not tried out the car you know he can't do that he's an adult <laughs> you know so he hasn't been able to try it out so this it's is really, a, he's been waiting for one of his fuckboy kids to go, like, do some shenanigans. He probably, and like, dropped the keys, like, on yeah. the floor. Like, oh, <laughs> like, speaking of, like, if Molly didn't know that the car <clears throat> could fly, how do the boys? How'd the boys find out? Maybe. Oh, like, I'm sure he tells them things. Well, they probably I, hang around in the garage when he's working on it. I, I, also, I also feel like Ma- Molly probably said no to getting the car from the start, so, uh, I mean, she she's probably been pretending it doesn't exist, waiting for him to get rid of it. That's my opinion, personally. But I feel like the boys are probably really curious about it. Mm. But when Sean brings big, annoying shit into our lives, I'm just like, you can put that in the garage, and I will never, ever think about it again. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the beauty of a relationship, you know? Yeah, and then he does take it to the garage, and now the garage looks like a fucking shit show. It is so <laughs> messy in there. <laughs> hey. Um, so then they start fighting, and then Ron's like, let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> While we have a chance. Another beautiful part of being part of a big family is, like, she's literally still yelling at all of them. <laughs> they, two of them can sneak away undetected. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and they, okay, so, well, and they get a, there's a rare Ginny sighting, which, like, I think that Ginny having a crush on Harry, but it's like, I wouldn't even call it a crush. It's like right now she's just like terrified of him. 
But like her, I think this whole precedent is like such a beautiful part of their later relationship that it was like at first just like so stupid and weird. She's like can't even look at him. <laughs> my mom, my mom's like best friend lived with, lived with us for a really long time, and she's like really involved with her nephew who was like he, he was and is significantly younger than me. So when I was like. 14, 13, he was like three. And for years, I thought this kid was nonverbal because he would not speak when I was in a room. <laughs> ever. <laughs> ever. The first time I ever heard him talk, he was nine. Wow. wow. Is it because yeah. he loved you? Yes. Oh, Haley. He Aww. had like a huge crush on girl. me. Aww. Yeah. I'm, I'm really popular in the three to four years old crowd, which is not useful <laughs> at all. <laughs> wow. Can't relate at all because when I have a crush on someone, I do not shut up. That's, that's my strategy. <laughs> Just say everything you've ever felt before. Uh, so then they go up to Ron's room for the first time. It looks like uh, a furnace, like walking into a furnace because everything is so violent orange. And like, I just like, I don't know, man, like I've dated like a flaming ginger before and like he knew and like we, we worked on it. Like, <laughs> like you can't, I'm sorry, buddy. Like you can't wear red. You can't wear orange. You can't wear pink. Like, I'm so sorry. Like you just can't. That's like a ginger rule. So I don't know how there is so much red and maroon in Ron's life. But it's rude. But it's in his bedroom. You can do whatever you want in there. It's just like, you know, when you go out in public, maybe put on a green sweater. That's a better (laughs) idea for you. Nope. His mom knits him a maroon sweater. She should know better. Just saying. There again, he loves the team and he loves their colors. Yeah. And he's not concerned with other people looking at it. He's been taught, you know, he just has up what he loves. Such like a 12 year old boy perspective. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's so beautiful because, you know, the Dursley house would never allow orange on the walls. Like, it's not just his stuff that's Chudley Cannons. They literally let him paint the walls with bright orange, which is a, <laughs> a strong. No, it's. It's either uh, it's either a very loving and generous parenting choice, or it's like a you're in the attic. It doesn't matter to us as long as no one goes up there. We're fine. (laughs) Yeah, and who's gonna go up there? It's so many stairs. Right. No one famous for sure. Definitely not a famous wizard of any kind is gonna be up there. So go ahead. So when when Harry steps into Ron's room, I feel like he gets a really, I feel like he gets this like weird chill over him of like what his life could have been like if he had mm-hmm. been raised with his wiz- witch and wizard parents oh, which true. um just for the record um for all, all our listeners um we're trying to figure out what the gender neutral form of witch and wizard is um i don't like having to use that gendered language in all our episodes so if anyone out there has a good recommendation for a gender neutral term for witch slash wizard so far i i like warlock i know that historically they that word has at times been gendered but i just to me it's like it just feels a little more feisty like it could go you never know what it's gonna do (laughs) sorcerer yeah, but then there's the Sorcerer's Stone, so that's, like, a whole thing. True. We're accepting submissions. Please add us. Um, but, so, so he walks into Ron's room, and he's just like, this could have been my life, right? Like, this, like, wow, okay, first of all, he has a bedroom, and, like, <laughs> that's cool. I only got one of those a year ago, and it has, it's just, like, so full of Ron's character and his spirit, which right now is strong 12-year-old boy vibes, but, like, you know, Harry never owned a single thing 
of his own until he had to go to Hogwarts and had to buy specific stuff for that. So it probably is just like a really beautiful and also tragic moment for him. And her writing here is so specifically aimed at that because the last couple of paragraphs, she's describing these things that are in his room that aren't on their own, very fancy or like particularly great. You know, she even describes Scabbers, his fat gray rat. She doesn't say anything (laughs) fancy about it, but he's snoozing in a patch of sun. Um, his wand is lying on top of a fish tank full of frog spawn, which is kind of gross, but it's on the windowsill. Yeah, like, she like what even is that? I, she still makes it look so beautiful and just like peaceful and warm, mm-hmm. warm, almost yeah. kind of like um the way that Andy's bedroom feels in the Toy Story movies. Aw, just like a nice, like warm, cozy boys' room. Yeah. He's got yeah. st- like self-shuffling playing cards and like a comic book collection. Ron has a comic book collection. He's a good boy. And Ron, when he's apologizing for it, he at first this line confused me because it's so backwards to me, but it makes sense now. He says, "It's a bit small," said Ron quickly. "Not like that room you had with the Muggles." Which he doesn't. And he's even... apologizing that it's not like the room he had with the Dursleys. I mean, Ron very mel- well might not know at all that Harry used to live in a cupboard. I don't know because I, no you get the vibe, you get the feeling that he, that Harry definitely told them what happened over the summer, because they as soon as they get there they tell Molly they were starving him, mom. Yeah. And so that's he must true. have said he must have gone into detail about the summer, but. Yeah, but I, I feel like Ron wouldn't be apologizing for the size of his room if he knew Harry once lived in a cupboard. You know what I mean? It's I don't like Ron says some pretty socially awkward things sometimes, and I feel like his his automatic reaction would be like, "I'm so sorry, everything I have is is crappy and poor." You're right about that. He's awkward as hell, so and <laughs> he, so, he and couldn't know he, anything. When he went to get Harry, Harry was in a. Um, gorgeous huge room he doesn't know now that he wasn't enjoying that yeah it's hard to know if that's something he shared with ron because i mean 12 year old boys just be that way like ron could have forgotten that's like something (laughs) that ron would do it's just like oh you're abused tragically like oh and like out in one ear and out the other but the i think that's the beautiful thing about ron and harry's friendship is that it starts at school and it starts with no context there's none of harry's context in their friendship of him being abused and like um shoved to the side for his whole life and in ron from ron's perspective there's no context of him being the youngest sibling and always feeling like he's not good enough they get to like build this new friendship together and i think that's why they work so good together is because they're like that doesn't matter like we're just going forward together i I feel like um that this was the chapter that sort of really began the reasons for the bond that ron and harry have yeah you could really start seeing the reason for the bond they have as different as they are you could see where what each one had that the other desperately wanted you know so what they loved about each other was the opposite. Yeah, and that they both, even though they were embarrassed about their own lives a bit, like they're both completely non-judgmental about each other's. They don't they don't care about any of that stuff. Whereas a lot of society, even the Wizarding Society, does care about that kind of stuff. Um, so that I think, on your point, really, that's another reason that they become such good friends. And two times in this chapter, he says, um, once when he's still outside 
and he's looking at the house and the description of the house I love. And Ron says something, you know, it's like, it's, you know, it is what it is, whatever. And Harry says, it's beautiful, you know, and, and Ron couldn't believe that. And then at the end, of course, at the end of this chapter, you know, when, when Harry says it's the best house I've ever seen, you know, and Ron just turned pink because he had no idea. Somebody was going to just say that and love the house that he lives in. He, he never thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. That's a great place to end this chapter. So many feel-good vibes right now. I just love it. Yeah, if the worst thing that's happening in a chapter is Molly Weasley is mad at you, you know it's going to be okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because she wouldn't get mad at you if she didn't love you, okay? True. And, and Harry learned that. He learned that there's someone that can get really mad you know, really, really mad and still feed you. Yeah. And tell Eight you nine sausages. <laughs> and also, if you notice when he was, when he was talking to Arthur Weasley in this chapter, um, I think this is the chapter or maybe it, I'm, I don't know. I'm rereading it again. So I'm on book five, but you know, Arthur Weasley is genuinely interested in what he has to say. You know, th- so how does this work? You know, Harry, tell me that's awesome. That's wonderful. He's never heard, anyone say that that didn't have a reason to especially not an adult after being at the weasleys he goes to school and like teachers aren't there to i mean generally aren't there to like tenderly listen to you as a guardian like they're there to put discipline you and put some knowledge in your brain so yeah harry harry really needs this (laughs) harry really needs a little vacation at the weasleys so here we are are you guys ready to move on to some plugs sure auditory confirmation <laughs> Haley I hear your boiler beatboxing in the background hey <laughs> it's still doing that uh, if any plumbers out there happen to know if that's something I should be worried about please let me know right now I'm just living with my own drum line and it's fine <laughs> and any plumbers out there like we're so sorry about that American plumber joke that Vernon Dursley made last chapter we don't know what the joke was or if the punchline was at your expense but it sounded like it was a probably little, was a little condescending and we're just mm. so sorry <laughs> I, uh, I'm personally very glad that we didn't hear the Japanese golfer joke <laughs> yeah yep. yep um well great Haley you want to go first uh, yeah, sure. Um, I am going to plug uh, the Gentleman Bastard series by Scott Lynch. Um, I read it a while ago, but I recently lent uh, the first book to Christina. So let me know how that goes. Um, is that the Lies of Locke Lamora? Yeah. The series oh. is called Gentleman Bastards. Oh. The first, yeah. The first book is called The Lies of Locke Lamora. Um, it's a fantasy series, but it's like nothing you've read. It's like like it's a secondary world. So like there's magic and stuff, but it's like a heist story about like thieves and it's like kind of based on renaissance italy but like with magic it's really fun virtuoso uh cursing i mean just like elevated to an art form uh really really fun characters so uh if you're looking for a fantasy series gentlemen bastards raven Sure. Um, and I'm just realizing I didn't, I forgot to tell my mom that we do this at the end. So mom, I yeah. hope you're thinking of something well, that gonna you've been reading. The last, the last book I read, but go ahead. It's probably Harry Potter. <laughs> no. Well, yeah, other than Harry Potter. You can't so. plug Harry Potter on the Harry Potter podcast. <laughs> we know, we know that Harry Dang. Potter is good. <laughs> okay. All right. So I've been reading um, a book that's really weird for me, but my um, stepdaughter picked it up for me because she thought, it looks like something I would like. It's the seven and a half deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. 
Mm. And it's a thick boy, too. That seems an unlikely number. Yeah, I know. But it's not that unlikely. No, um, it's really good. It's like murder mystery on steroids. Um, It's like very Agatha Christie-ish, but you mix in a little bit of uh, a little bit of sci-fi or fantasy i guess like time travel kind of stuff um really really good grips you from the very beginning um the only thing i'll say is do not read the back because i'm still mad about it i started it and it's like really interesting really intriguing i didn't know what was going on um but i was in it for the ride and then i read read the back cover um and it explained at least half of the you know like God damn it. I know that there's still going to be a twist and I still have to figure things out before the end, but it got me like through the twists halfway through. Oh, made me so mad. Anyways, I'm still plugging it because it's great. Just don't read the back. (laughs) Can I borrow that when you're done? Yes, of course. All right, Dana, what do you got to plug? Well, (laughs) I don't know about plugging it, but the last thing I read was Slash's biography. (laughs) You know Slash's? Yeah. The guitarist for Guns N' Roses. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It was fascinating. I will Really? Absolutely fascinating. The guy has been, you know, balls to the wall crazy since he was born. I mean, he's nuts. That makes he's for nuts. good reading. Yeah. It was, it was really good. I liked it. Yeah. If you're, gonna, like, if you're going to write a memoir, then you should have had a cool life. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's great advice for all those aspiring memoir writers out there. Only do it if you're interesting and probably ask somebody else if you're an interesting story. <laughs> ask someone who does not care about your feelings. That's key. Yeah. <laughs> so I have been your host, Christina. You can follow me on Instagram at Ya Girl of the World. You can follow me on Twitter at Tina Fontina. This week, I'm going to plug a book that just came out at Brainy Lane Publishers. Um, it was actually pub- published by our imprint, Belisle Books, The Blameless by E.S. Christensen. Um, just came out last week, and it is a, a middle grade fantasy, but um, I, I'm, I mean, I'm accustomed to reading like YA and adult fantasy, and it still definitely piqued my interest. Displaced princess, murdered royalty, rogue villain with a mysterious backstory, magic only gifted to people who are nice. That's cool. That's an interesting yeah. perspective. Um, it's a real awesome adventure. Snag that. It is on Amazon and wherever else you get books. And if you haven't heard yet, this very podcast is on Instagram at Restricted Section Pod. We're on Twitter at Restricted Pod. We're on Facebook. Our Facebook group is called the Restricted Section Detention Crew. And we have a brand spanking new Patreon where you can do things like have Zoom happy hours with us, the gang. Um, We're fun. We like (laughs) to drink um, sometimes too much. And then it gets more fun. The fun only increases. So for that super cool kind of stuff, go to our Patreon, which is in the show notes. Well, here we are at the end. Thank you all for being here with me today. You're welcome back at the borough anytime. Just make yourselves at home. I love having guests. Thank you. Um, Yeah, thanks so much for being on with us today, Diane. I hope we'll be able to have you back on um, for another book. Thank you. That was fun. Yeah, and um, well, I feel rude now saying my catchphrase, which is "get the fuck off my computer screen." So maybe just, <laughs> maybe just ta-ta for now. <laughs> you can't talk to my mom like that, Christina. <laughs> Diana, very important, very important. What's your dog's name? 
Yeah, uh, yeah. That one, Stinker Bell. <laughs> <laughs> if you could smell her breath, you'd know why. It was just Tinker Bell at first, but it's Stinker Bell. Oh goodness. <laughs> The Restricted section was created and hosted by me, Christina Kahn, based on the book series by J.K. Rowling. All music by Ryan Kahn. Logo by Michael Hardison. Technical support from Sean Watson. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at RestrictedSectionPod or shoot us an email at RestrictedSectionPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts, feelings, complaints, conspiracy theories, or lavish praise. Haley, how has your week been so far? It's Monday and you took the day off, so hopefully it's been pretty good. Yep, yep, yep. A couple days off. Uh, I have to supplement my weekend and it was it was awesome. It, it's magnificent. Haley, you're having a weird um like internet error? Like our or uh, echo. Are you, are, yeah, it's like a weird echo, but in a way that's more matrix than like ghosty. Mm. Oh, I like that. <laughs> but like right. <laughs> yeah. You fucking, you jinxed it. You jinxed it by saying that everything was fine. Everything isn't fine. And now I, I have to figure out my fucking thing and it's all your fault. <laughs> really, it's really hard so to mad. seriously when you sound like Jar Jar Binks, okay? <laughs> it's pretty endearing, actually, so. Me so technologically inept. We absolutely cannot go on like this, though, because it's really funny. <laughs> it's too funny. All right. Well, I'm guess guess whatever the problem is, it has something to do with, with my fi- shut up, stop laughing. It's it really funny. T- my my mom got me adapters, so I don't have to use my sh- shitty old lap anymore. So I can just plug in my microphone. Now I assume that problem. Oh, it's like I know she's trying to say something to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure of it. <laughs> okay. I plugged it, unplugged it, and didn't plug it back into that help. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I know this isn't funny. It's a little bit funny. Darren! Is it better? No. Better. <laughs> I am speaking and pausing. Do I hear a replay? Oh, that sounds good. Yes, and it sounds fine. Okay. All right. Well, you're sounding more fine now than you did before. All right. Well, that's something. Okay, well, okay, great. So is far, this, so good. Since is this workable? Do I yeah. still sound like Jar Jar Binks? No, it, it sounds pretty good now, actually. I, uh, right. I, don't, I don't know what we did. We challenged it. <laughs> All right, well, as long as I sound like a person. Yeah, it was really funny. It was like a Jar Jar Binks robot that was, like, slowly losing battery. Well, I really hope that uh, it came through that way on the recording so that we can play around with that. <laughs>